I don't know what Sunday afternoons are like at your house, but I am in a family full of nappers. So I'm the only non-napper in the family. So I get home from church, and uh, it's pretty quiet, so I get some work done to wrap up Sunday. I typically watch a little bit of football in the fall. And then when my kids start getting up, we typically do one or two things. We either play chess, and uh, my kids are not good losers right now, um, but I'm, I'm not letting them off easy. Uh, or we play Legos, and uh, uh, we're a family that has way too many Legos. I've never met anybody who has not enough Legos. You either don't have Legos or you have too much Legos. And so we're definitely in that too much category. And a couple months ago, my wife found this amazing set of Legos for us to build. It's this set right here. It's a Harry Potter chess Lego set. It's amazing. And so it was kind of the merging of, of two of our loves. We love chess and we love Harry Potter. And at the end of the first Harry Potter movie, there's an epic game of chess. And so we started building this set a couple weeks ago, and, and, and over time as we were building, we, we got away from the instructions, which is always, always a bad decision. I'm an instructions kind of guy, and so we're getting away from the instructions, and we're halfway through building this, this checkerboard chess set, and uh, something just seems off to me. Something's not going well, and so I pull back out the box. I'm looking at the box. I'm looking at the instructions, and I realize that we've started laying out the checkerboard chess set wrong, and so we had to tear off like half of the board and start over again, and uh, we got it built. My kids have played chess on it. I think we're already missing some pieces, which is inevitable when you have kids and Legos, but we figured it out, and, and as I was thinking about this message that I'm going to share with you today and that experience, I was reminded of something, that the model we're using matters. No matter what you're building, whether you're building a set of Legos or you're building a life, the model that you're using to model whatever you're working on after, it matters because the model that you choose will shape everything about where you go. Now, if you're new to Cornerstone or you've been out for a couple weeks, we're in a series right now called Help, I Need a Relationship Reset. We're talking about the fact that for so many of us, our relationships have taken a huge hit in the last couple years. We've seen conflict and estrangement. We've seen difficulty and disagreement. And especially heading into one of the most difficult seasons of the year for relationships, the holidays, We've been talking about how do we pursue healthy relationships. If you were here during week one, we talked about the fact of what would it look like if we made the mercy of God the lens that we looked at all of our relationships through. Last week we said, what if we treated everything in our lives, especially the people in our lives, as a gift from God? And today we're going to move forward again. But it is family Sunday. And so if kids are in the room, I want to encourage you on your kids' notes. You have a place to track the number of times I say the word love. I have, I have no idea how often I will say the word love, but if you can keep track today and see Miss Jen out in the lobby, she will have a prize for you today. So for everybody else, we want to encourage you to open up to the book of Romans today. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to pull it out or turn it on. If you're new to the Bible, we're so glad to have you here. Romans is near the back of the Bible. It's a letter written by a man named Paul to a group of believers in Jesus in the city of Rome in the first century AD. And we're working our way in this series through Romans 12, 13, and 14, because there's a lot there about how we relate to one another. And so we're going to finish out Romans 12 today. And if you would, would you stand with me and follow along as we dive into this text. Here's what Paul says. He says, let love be without 
hypocrisy. Detest evil and cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints and their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would allow it to work powerfully in our hearts. We pray that we would surrender to that work and truly listen to what you have to say to us today. And I pray, Jesus, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now, I, uh, I, I prepare for sermons in a, in a pretty consistent way every time I speak. And one of the things I do if I've got a text like this is I start to get to know the text over a period of time. I'll read it in different translations. I'll, I'll read it and kind of let it sit on the back burner and kind of just percolate and simmer. I'll come back to it, try to just get a sense of the passage before I read anybody else's commentary on it. I'm trying to have my own experience with the Holy Spirit in the text. And so a, a couple weeks ago, as I was working on this message, I, uh, I, I, I sat down to, to take a drive and I opened up my Bible app. If you don't have an app on your phone that has the Bible on it, and you have other apps, I'd encourage you to get a Bible app. There's one by Version. You can just search Version Bible app in Google or your app store and find it. It's a great app. And one of my favorite things about the app is that it will read Scripture to you, which is often the way I listen to it. I'll be driving in, in the car. And so I opened up Romans 12, and I hit play, and I was just listening to Romans 12 as I was, as I was driving. And I got done with this section in Romans 12, the passage I just read to you today, and, and a thought hit me. And, and it just kind of sat there. It was a new thought. It was not, I wasn't new to that text. It was just a new thought to me. And, and I think it may be a thought that you've had today as you were listening to me read through that text. And here's what thought came to me in that moment. How on earth am I supposed to do that? I can't do that. Like, if you ever read a section in the Bible, and let's be honest, okay? This is supposed to be the most honest time in our week, Right? You ever read the Bible and just go, no way. There's no way I can do that. See, this is one of those texts for me. I'm listening to it going, man, I'm not sure I have it in me to do that. I, I listened to those. One commentator said there's 30 different ethical commands in Romans 12. I'm like, man, I can't do this. And the longer I thought about that, the more convinced I became that I can't. And neither can you. 
You cannot do everything I just read on your own. You can try. I mean, have at it this week. Good luck. If you make it till Tuesday, I'm going to be impressed. But that is the point. See, Jesus himself said in John 15, Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. See, one of the challenges of preaching a text like I'm going to preach to you today is that some of us read the word that we just read and then we immediately try to go and live it on our own. It's almost as if we're practical atheists. We believe in God, but practically we live as if it's all on us. And this passage that we just read will be like trying to carry around a a rack of weight that's got 225 pounds on it, the bar and and two 45s on each side all week for you. It will weigh you down if you try to do this in your own power and strength. The design from the beginning is that we would follow what we have just read, not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, see, when Paul wrote another letter to the church in Galatia, he talked about what the outcome of the Holy Spirit working through us was. And he made a powerful and famous list. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of God's Spirit living in us. This is not my fruit, though. And this isn't your fruit either. If you are nodding your head that it is, I hope the person you came with who's sitting next to you will elbow you and remind you that it wasn't this past week. See, before this, Paul describes what our fruit is, the the work that we do is, and he calls it the work of the flesh. He says the work of the flesh is obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery. And then I've bolded some terms because they're relevant to the text in Romans today. Hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy. I've just described your week on Facebook today. And, and that's the outcome of us living our lives in our own power and strength. And so if you're going to live what Paul just articulated in Romans 12, it cannot be you doing it on your own, in your own power and strength. And as we begin this text, I just want to make some reminders for you that Jesus is our Savior. He saved us from all the sin of our past, and He saved us and promises to deliver us to a glorious future with God. But He is also our model. Jesus is the model human being. I'm not sure if you've ever thought of Jesus as your role model, but He is the ultimate model. And he gives us our power that we need to follow him. And so I just want to encourage you that as we dive into this text today, do not read this text as if anyone, including God, expects you to live it in your own power and strength. It is only as you model your life after Jesus and live your life from the power source he put in you when he gave you the Holy Spirit that you can do this. So I just wanted to set that up as a a foundation for today as we dive into our big idea, which is this. The model you choose determines what you will build. The model you choose determines what you will build. So whether you're building a house, a set of Legos, or a life, the model that you choose to pursue 
and use as your standard will determine what you build. And today I want to talk to you about three consequences of making Jesus our model in a world gone mad. And here's the first consequence. If we're going to build our life off of Jesus, then we need to embrace the reality that the way of Jesus looks foolish to our world. The way of Jesus looks foolish to our world. Now, a few years ago, I, uh, I started using a phrase to describe myself. I, I grew up as a kid saying I was a Christian, but I found over time that that word was misunderstood by a lot of people. It, some people it meant they were born in America. Some people it meant they were born in a family that went to church. Some people, like I was growing up with, who went to a Christian school, that meant that they were a Christian. And, and I chose to use a phrase that I am a follower of Jesus because it focused on how I was living my life. But, but to be a follower of Jesus requires that you actually follow the way of Jesus. If you're going to say that you're a follower of Jesus, the idea is, is that you're actually following him. In the same way that if I, I'm taking you somewhere you haven't been and I say, hey, follow me, the idea is that you turn left when I turn left and you turn right when I turn right and you stop when I stop and you go when I go. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we have to live in the way of Jesus, which is different than the way of the world. And it's becoming increasingly clear that the way of Jesus is not the way of the world. But that's not a new thing. Again, I said a few weeks ago, we have to remind ourselves that the, the world has never been holy and good. The, the world has never not been sinful and broken. And in the day of Paul, this is what he wrote about the way of Jesus in 1 Corinthians. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. He continues in verse 25. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. And so if you're going to walk in the way of Jesus and make him your model, you've got to embrace the reality that the way of, the G way of Jesus is going to look foolish to the people around you who are not following in the way of Jesus. Especially this text here in Romans 12. Because you read it and you go, according to our world and the wisdom of our world, this is a dumb and foolish way to live. For example, Paul says that we are to return not evil for evil, but good for evil. Well, according to our world, returning good for evil is weak. If somebody brings evil to you, then you give them what they deserve. You know, you give them back what they gave to you. If that's how you want to play, two can play in that game. We have all sorts of phrases that, that go along with this mindset. And according to our world, this way of Jesus here is weakness. According to our world, blessing those who persecute you, loser. If you bless those who persecute you, like that's not the way to win. It's weakness. And when you read the ways of Jesus... And you contrast it with the way of our world, there is a drastic difference. Over 200 years ago, Napoleon, the short guy. I'm never tall compared to anybody, so I'll take this chance here, the short guy. 
He said this, he said, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have built great empires, but upon what did they depend? They depended upon force. But long ago, Jesus started an empire that depended on love. Kids, that's a check mark for you. And even to this day, millions will die for him. See, the way of this world is the way of force and power. And yet, even Napoleon acknowledged that the way of Jesus was a different way. And to Alexander and Caesar and Charlemagne and Napoleon, it was a way of foolishness. And so a question I have for you today as we dive into this text from Romans 12 is this. How willing are you to look foolish? How willing are you as a follower of Jesus to look foolish to the people who don't understand the way of Jesus? See, I'm not sure we've ever established willingness to look foolish as a sign of spiritual maturity. Typically, it's reading your Bible, coming to church, praying, giving, serving. But willingness to look foolish should be on that list. Because if you're going to follow in the ways of Jesus, you have to embrace that there are people around you who aren't going to get it, who aren't going to understand it, who aren't going to embrace it. Popularity and following Jesus at times will diverge. And you'll have to accept that certain people aren't going to like you, get you, or appreciate you. Including families. Families, I just want to speak to you today about this. When you start having kids and your kids have friends and you see their families doing certain things and living certain ways, there is a social pressure to fit in. Years ago, I heard a pastor share a message where he talked about why normal isn't working. You know how often we talk about normal as like this high value? Well, this is just a normal thing to do. How often is normal like not a standard you want to meet? I mean, the norm is that most people are going to go through the next two months at a frenetic and frantic pace and be exhausted and hating it, but faking it all the way through. The normal thing is over the next two months, you're going to incur debt that's going to take you way longer than two months to pay off. The normal thing is for people to live today with crippling anxiety and depression. And so families, I just want to say to you, what if you embrace the weird? What if you said, we're going to be a weird family. We're not going to fit in. We're not going to try to keep up with everybody else. And whatever stage your family is in, you may be beyond the kid stage or you never went through the kid stage. That's fine. But part of following Jesus is embracing the weird. And going, you know what? I am willing to look foolish because following the way of Jesus is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's the the first consequence of making Jesus our model. The second one is that we need to apply the mercy and grace of God to our relationships. We have to apply the mercy and grace of God to our relationships. The idea that Jesus introduced when he walked on this earth and his followers have been embracing ever since is that the the mercy and grace that he gave us doesn't stop with us. There are not supposed to be dead ends or cul-de-sacs in the kingdom of God. Little dad joke for the kids in the room today. Hey, what's the favorite road of a ghost? A dead end. Yeah, really bad, really bad. 
But the idea is, is that there are no dead ends in God's kingdom. That things don't stop with us, but they flow through us. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, freely you've received, therefore freely give. Not freely you've received, therefore uh, anxiously hoard. No, give. That forgiveness that I've given you, I intend for you to give away. That's the story in Matthew 18 where a, a, a servant is forgiven and then held accountable for not forgiving others. And so the idea is, is that all of us have received the mercy and grace of God, which we did not deserve. And it isn't just for us, it's for the world and to be shared through us. And so you say, Scott, as I read through Romans 12, why would I bless those who persecute me? Like, why would I do that? Our world says it's weak. Why would I do that? Because God blessed me when I didn't deserve it. Say, Scott, why would I not avenge myself? Somebody does me wrong, why would I not pay them back? Why would I not make them pay for what they did to me? Because if God had taken revenge on me, I wouldn't be here today and neither would you. You starting to track with me? Why would I not overcome evil with evil? Why would I not adopt the means of this world? Because God overcame my evil with good on the cross in Christ. Why would I do all that depends on me to be at peace with someone when they've done all this wrong to me? Because God did all he could to be at peace with me. This is the balance. This is the, the reality here that what God has given us he doesn't intend to stop with us. He intends for us to give it away to the world. And the mark that we have experienced Jesus is not what we have received. It's what we are giving away. It's how we are treating one another. It's not that we just love the amazing grace that we've been given. It's that we begin to learn that we are to give away amazing grace to others. Now, now, if you're new to the Bible, one of the things I want to remind you of is that when you open your Bible and you read, there are little headings. In, in my Bible, they're in bold. And so the heading in my Bible over this section is called Christian Ethics. Now, the headings were not added by Paul. Paul's words were inspired by God. The headings are not. They weren't in the original text. I was reading through a bunch of translations, and in one of the translations I was reading, I think it was the ESV, the heading in that text was, The Marks of a True Christian. So I started thinking, what are the marks of a true Christian? How do you know somebody is actually a follower of Jesus? You might say, well, they, they believe in faith in what Christ has done for them. That's the mark of the Reformation, which is the 500-something anniversary today. By faith alone, through God's grace alone, in Christ alone. That's the mark of a tradition. Or maybe it's that they do certain things, or that they don't do certain things. Well, Jesus gave his answer to what is the mark of a true Christian in John 13. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples— Mark of a true Christian, if you love one another. What is the mark that we are a follower of Jesus? 
according to Jesus, it is not primarily, not, not unimportant, but not primarily what we believe. It is not primarily where we are on Sunday mornings. It is not primarily what happens with our money. It is primarily how we love. Now, I need to make a little caveat here. Somebody once told me you do something twice, it's a trend, and three times it's a pattern. So this is becoming a pattern in this series. I make these little caveats. Let's make a little caveat here that love is not incompatible with justice and consequences. I say this because sometimes when you read a passage like this, you think, well, what about that person in my life who is literally hurting me? What about that person who is literally abusing me? It is not unloving to allow someone to experience the consequences of their actions. In fact, it can actually be loving to do that. And sometimes it's actually unloving to protect them from that. If you're being abused, it's not unloving to allow the police to carry out their God-given responsibility to do justice in that situation. It's not unloving to step away from a relationship because it's keeping you from following God in all the areas of your life. It's not unloving to put up a boundary and say, no, you're not going to treat me that way. It doesn't mean that you start returning wrong to them. As one commentator this week said, it is always wrong to do wrong when you're wronged. But it's not wrong to say, hey, there are consequences to what you've done. And in love, I'm going to allow those to come on you. So I just want to say to you, if you're being taken advantage of today, this text is not uh, a license to just say, hey, let them take everything they want. But even in the way you treat people who are wronging you, we are called to a higher standard. Here's the third consequence. Follow the model Jesus set for relationships inside and outside of the church. Last week's text, Romans 12, 3 through 8, was very focused on life in the body of Christ. But here in this text, what Paul does is he handles both life inside of the church and outside. The relationships we have with each other and the relationships we have with the outside. And let's walk through what he says here. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Remember, we mentioned a few weeks ago, the word hypocrisy came from this era in world history. It was when a person put on a mask and they played a role. They were an actor in a Greek play. And Paul says, let your love be genuine. Don't put on an act. Don't pretend to love people. Actually love them. Detest evil and cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. This word love here, it's the Greek word agape. It's unconditional love. It's not love when you feel like it or love when they've deserved it. It's unconditional love in the body. He says, take the lead in honoring one another. Honor is a word that, a word that our world has conveniently forgotten. We traffic in contempt and not honor. If somebody disagrees with us, we look down on them, we punch down on them, we take it to them. But, but we're a world in desperate need of honor. And he says, not only honor one another, but take the lead in honoring one another. Why? Because God honored you when you had not done anything honorable to deserve it. He says, do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. So for some of you who are like, Scott, what about truth? What about passion? It's right here. 
Be fervent in the spirit. The, the, the word fervent is the idea of a boiling pot of water. Be fiery and passionate for the Lord. Don't lack in zeal. This is not weakness, it's strength. And then he says, when you're in difficulty, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be persistent in prayer. Again, the way that Jesus calls us to approach our relationships is different from our world. Our world will not disciple you into hope. It will disciple you into fear. Our world will not disciple you into patience. It will disciple you into impatience. And the one thing our world will not teach us is how to be persistent in prayer. As I look back on the last two years, one of the things that I have not been that this text talks about is I have been reactive in prayer so much more often than I've been persistent in prayer. Situations demand that, okay, I pray, but I've not been persistent enough. Paul continues, he says, share with the saints and their needs, pursue hospitality. So not just, hey, there's an opportunity that's come your way, be hospitable. No, no, seek out opportunities to be hospitable. And this is the place where the text messed me up. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. It was this text a couple years ago that God began to use to convict me. You see, there was somebody who uh, I used to have connections with in my life who I discovered was saying some not friendly things about me when I wasn't in the room. There was a conversation that happened one day that one of my friends was in, and I was the subject of that conversation. And some very unkind, hurtful, and untrue things were said about me. And my friend spoke up and said, well, I'm Scott's friend, and I'm a friend of the savages, and this is the relationship that we've had, and this is the friendship we've had. And the person who was the source of all of this negative, critical, untrue things about me said, oh, you're his friend? I'm sorry. It was a difficult day. And to be honest, in my flesh, I didn't feel like blessing. I felt like doing the other thing. But then a couple years ago, I heard about some incredibly painful and even worse things that were done to that person. Some miserable circumstances that their family had to go through. And God started messing with me. And he said, Scott, I, I want you to, uh, I want you to pray for him. I was like, I don't want to pray for him, God. I don't want to do it. Because I know what you know. If you pray for somebody, you cannot hold on to the hate in your heart. You can't. And so I started praying. And that praying ultimately led me to make a video that I sent to them to say, hey, I'm sorry for what happened to you. It was wrong. I just wanted you to know I'm praying for you. Now, the person didn't come back and say, hey, I was a jerk to you. I'm sorry. They, they didn't, they've never apologized for that. They've never owned that. But they said, thank you. I appreciate it. I didn't do it for them. I did it for me. That I could be free. And I just want to encourage you that you don't bless those who curse you so they will change. You bless them because Jesus calls you to do that. He continues, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Our modern term for that is empathy. Be with the person where they are in what they're in. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with 
the humble. Don't just run with people that are at your same status. Be willing to associate with people that you're not going to get anything out of it for. He says, do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So again, our world says, give them what they gave you. Jesus says, no, don't do that. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. That doesn't mean, hey, figure out what what everybody's good with and do that. He says, no, recognize that in every moment you're preaching, even when you're not preaching. Every moment you're living before the eyes of people who aren't followers of Jesus, you're giving your testimony. So do what will further that. He says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. There are some unpeaceable people in our lives. There are some people who are hard to love. There are some EGR people, extra grace required people. Especially you're going to see them over the next two months at the holidays. And he doesn't say, hey, make sure that you're always at peace with them. He says, no, if possible, recognizing it's not always possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So our measure according to Jesus is, have you done everything that depends on you to be at peace? And if you have, your conscience can be clear. I will just tell you, most of us stop short. He says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Starting in ancient Egypt, there was this practice that when someone had done wrong, they would take a silver platter, carry it over their head with a uh, pile of hot coals on it. I decided not to illustrate it because A, I didn't want to start a fire and B, I wanted to finish the sermon. But the image was, is that over time, that practice would impress upon them both the wrong of what they've done and the penitent and repentant heart they ought to have over it. And what Jesus says is when you actually do good to those who've done evil, when you don't give them what they deserve and when you give them what they don't deserve, it's like you're adding charcoals to that stack. You're actually making it heavier. You're impressing on them even more what they've done. The epitome of this action is what Abraham Lincoln did when he was running for president in 1860. There was a man on the left named Edwin Stanton. Josh, his beard rivals yours. It's a pretty epic beard. But Edwin Stanton uh, made it his pattern to say the meanest, vilest, most critical things he could about Abraham Lincoln. He did all he could to make sure that Lincoln didn't get elected. But Lincoln did. And when it came time for Lincoln to name his cabinet, he was in a meeting with people who were helping make make the decisions with him. He said, I want to name Edwin Stanton my secretary of war. This is right on the verge of the Civil War, a very important role. And people around said, Abe, do you know what he said about you? Do you know what he's been doing for these months and years? Do you know everything that has come from him? This guy is like your enemy. And Lincoln said, I know what he said. I know what he did. I read it. But he's the best person for the job. And so he named him Secretary of War. Five years later, Lincoln was shot and killed in 
Ford's Theater by John Wilkes Booth. And in the days after Lincoln's death, Stanton is quoted as saying, a great legacy of America died today. From not wanting him to be in the role to saying that he redefined the role. And I'm not convinced that would have happened if Lincoln had treated him the way his advisors wanted. Don't be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. I wonder today, what if the way you follow Jesus could lead someone to repentance? What if the way you treated people in this broken and mad world could actually change and shape their heart to be different? What if God might use you to lead them into a spirit of change? Because the model you choose determines what you're going to build. I've got some next steps for you this morning before we close. Here's the first one. This week, I want you to spend some time naming the significant models you've, potter, you've patterned your life after or against. I tell couples when they get married that you're either going to model your marriage after or against your parents or both. And it doesn't matter whether you're married or not. We're often doing the same thing. I want to be like them. I don't want to be like them. So who are you modeling your life after or against? Parents, families, this is a great dinner conversation. Who do you look up to? Ask your kids. Share about yourself. Because the, moder- the, the model you're following is going to determine the life or the family you're going to build. Number two, identify at least one place where you're uncomfortable with the way of Jesus and share with a friend. Where does Jesus frustrate you, unnerve you, make you sweat? Where, when you read the words of Jesus, are you like, I just, oh, I struggle to get on board with Jesus? You go, Scott, that takes honesty. I know. But what did Paul say? Let love be without hypocrisy. And often we're, not, we're just not honest enough. For me, I shared. It was when Jesus wanted me to bless those who cursed me. And then number three, identify one person who has hurt you or been an enemy to you and do something to intentionally bless them. Again, this is not the way of the world. The way of the world is as you're making your Christmas list, give to people who've blessed you. As you're making your gratitude list in November, give thanks for those who've blessed you. But the way of Jesus is not the way of the world. And it isn't the way of the world all around the world today. Next Sunday is going to be the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And what I have been so overwhelmed by as I've gotten to know brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who have it way harder than we have it here is the way that their heart reflects the heart of Christ. In Hebrews 13, it says, remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. And today, this may seem like an option for us. Like, hey, you can pick or choose what you want to do with this. But to them, this is their life every day. So as we conclude this message today, if you're able, I want to invite you to join me on my knees, on your knees, as you pray and we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Jesus, we lift up today 
followers of Jesus in other places for whom being cursed is not a, uh, an experience they can avoid. We lift up today followers of you who are experiencing enemies, who are working to take their livelihoods and their very lives. We lift up those who can't gather in a public place like this, but have to rather gather in secret. We lift up those who can't stream their experiences online, but have to find ways to quietly and secretly communicate online. There are so many privileges you've given us, Jesus, that are often lost on us. And we pray that we would do what Hebrews 13 says, that we would remember them, have empathy with them, weep with them, and join them today. We lift up your church around the world, especially in places where it's difficult and hard to follow you. And we pray that your spirit would be so alive and at work in them that the fruit that comes through them could only be attributed to you. In the places where they're being hurt and persecuted, we pray that out of their lives, as they're squeezed, would flow love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control that people might discover you in those places because of how they suffer. We pray that you would bring justice and goodness in the places where there are persecution and in the places where you don't remove it. We pray you give them the grace to endure. And we pray that we would live and relate to those around us just as they are, following you. In your name we pray. Amen.